0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Two-year-old girl fatally shot near 106th and Daphne Streets in Milwaukee. We are on pace to, well, you're going to have to go back to 1991. That was the Jeffrey Dahmer year to come up with as many homicides as we are going to potentially see in Milwaukee unless this slows down two-year-old. The latest example of that and, and what's going on? Of course, you've got the fire and police commission that is trying to force the police chief, the best police chief that the city of Milwaukee has had in decades. And I, I've seen him come, I've seen him go. They're trying to force him out at the time the city is facing just an, an epidemic wave of of criminal behavior, and they're trying to force him out because, well. We don't like the fact that he, he used tear gas to disperse some protesters, and, and, and we don't think that he's acted fast enough in giving some police officers accused of misconduct their due process. Oh, oh, how horrible this would be. Matter of fact, uh, Police Chief Morales joins John McCure later on today with uh, his attorney, Frank Gimble, and I think they're going to have a candid conversation about what's really going on here. Let me just cut to the chase. Uh, again, you've got the Fire and Police Commission and a hand, which is... The definition of dysfunctional and a handful of aldermen who are playing racial politics and and they're trying to force the chief out. And of course, the, the overriding question becomes, where is the mayor on this? I mean, Tom Barrett hiding on the milk carton. Where is he on the fact that his city is at least figuratively and maybe literally burning when it comes to criminal activity? By the way, the mayor has the authority to to essentially override all these ridiculous orders that the Fire and Police Commission came out with. Where is the mayor on this? And um, it's just unfortunate that when you when it comes to law and order, you have the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, who's apparently just decided to give in to the forces of political correctness. We'll talk about that a little bit more a little later on. All right. I want to start off with a story out of Minneapolis, but it, it, it could be and it will be a story from a lot of urban areas, I, I think potentially including the city of Milwaukee as well. It used to be that people who went into law enforcement were respected by members of the community the service that they did was appreciated and it used to be that look e- even even if you get stopped for speeding or something like that most people treated the police with respect etc that of course has changed at least in some areas and you have politicians and you politicians know who you are and you have you know members of the community who are out there pursuing their own different agendas and the, the agenda ends up being pro-criminal and be it's anti-law enforcement so you have situations where you have the police that are turned out to I don't know stop people from looting and rioting and burning down buildings and what happens is Folks throw bricks at them. People come up, scream awful things in their face. People spit at them. And if they go out and they try to make an arrest, immediately they are the bad guys, and the mob turns on them. And then you have, like I say, elected officials who decide they're going to side with the, the mob and that the police can do no, nothing right. Well, there, there is an effect of that. And the effect, the real-world effect is that people just decide enough is enough? Can I see a show of hands? Have you ever worked at a job where you, you, you started off with the best intentions, but something happened? The working conditions changed. Maybe you just got one of those bad bosses. Maybe the working conditions changed, etc. Whatever this was, you know, you, you come in day after day, and you started off excited. You started off liking the work, and maybe you still like the work, but the job conditions have changed so much that you you end up just dreading coming into work, and finally. You just say to heck with it, that life is too short to put up with this stuff. That is what they are starting to see in police departments all across the country. But let's talk about Minneapolis. All right. In Minneapolis, you had the the rogue police officer who ended up killing George Floyd that that started all these these protests nationally and internationally. All right. Nobody defends that rogue officer police officer but ever since then it's pretty much been a free-for-all open season on the cops up in Minneapolis and and how how is that responding how are they responding well well here's the deal the Minneapolis police force has about 850 officers 850 nearly 200 of those officers all right. So you're talking about 20 to 25 percent. Nearly 200 officers have already applied to leave the Minneapolis Police Department. All right. It is a prospect that this department could suddenly lose 20 to 25 percent of its sworn Officers, they're heading out. Already about 65 officers have left the department this year. Now, the typical um, attrition rate is 45 a year. They've already lost 65. They think they're going to lose a couple hundred. And my guess is... My guess is that's going to go up because what you're going to see is you're going to see lots of police officers who just decide, hey, I, I'm I'm eligible for t- retirement. Boom, I'm gone. Or, hey, I'm a new officer. I've been here for a couple years. But you know what? I just I can't do this. I, I can't see spending the next 20 years of my life, at least in this community, being a police officer. Now, maybe they want to be a police officer, but not in this urban area because maybe they want to go somewhere where what they do is respected, valued, and members of the community, including elected officials, starting with the mayor, will back them up and will appreciate what they end up doing. So in Minneapolis, you are already seeing a huge attrition rate. In the city of Milwaukee, they're already down a lot of cops. And I know if you talk to management at the police department, they are deathly afraid that the same thing that is going on in Minneapolis is going to go on in Milwaukee. where you have lots of good cops that just decide, I'm done. I'm done. This is not where I want to work. You've got lots of police officers who are either, now they're eligible for retirement, but they don't have to go. I think, you know, pretty much... You're going to see almost all of them out the door in the near future unless something changes, particularly the war that is being conducted against Chief Morales by some of the forces of political correctness in this community. But you're seeing cops who are bailing on the job. The other question is who in their right mind wants to get into law enforcement, particularly in an urban setting, given what's going on today? Or over the next week or two? I mean, who wants to sign up for that kind of aggregation? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The chickens are coming home to roost. All right, is this current war on the police The fact that okay we're going to let people pretty much do whatever they want to police officers we're not going to back them up we're going to side with the protesters we're going to side with the looters we're going to side with the anarchists I mean if you had a kid would you want that child to go into law enforcement can you imagine anybody going into law enforcement particularly in these urban areas in this environment today and if I'm right And the recruitment process becomes almost impossible and the door swings open as more and more people bail. Who is going to keep us safe? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Would you want to be a police officer? And by the way, it's not just the impact of the police officers themselves. I have the opportunity to speak to family members of police officers, you know, and I will tell you, you hear, I hear from a lot of spouses who always Just lived in fear, you know, when their when their spouse goes off, you just you just for work every day, you never know when you're gonna get that phone call saying, hey, something really bad has happened. But all that natural stress is now compounded by the fact that, you know, you don't know what idiot's gonna be out there that's throwing bricks at your husband or your wife when they're trying to maintain order. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Although I t- got to tell you, for my friends who are still in law enforcement, I-, I just shake my head every day. It's getting tougher and tougher.
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. I have a friend who is a uh, chief of police in one of our suburbs. Um. Who at one time was a, he retired from the Milwaukee Police Department and held a lot of high ranking positions, um, ran the gang squad, ran every kind of rough position as well. Um, But um, he is so frustrated that, that uh, he just, he just really wants to, he wants to retire, pack it in. Um, He's just holding on. Yeah, it's frustrating for him. It's frustrating for his officers, Jeff. They they are the morale is is just down.
1: Right, morale is morale in general in the law enforcement community is at an all time low. I I think it's probably fair to say that because you have ninety five percent. 98%, 98%, whatever, of the men and women who perform, who, who show up to work every day, they're good cops, they're not perfect, but they're trying to do their best, and yet they find themselves vilified, they find themselves attacked, and they find themselves with very, very little political support, particularly in some urban areas where it's fashionable to side with the looters and the rioters against people who want to have law and order, and it's very depressing, Jeff, very depressing. No, you. Yeah, for, it is, yeah, no, and
2: uh, we have our limousine uh, liberals.
1: Well, th- thanks for calling. Who, who, you know, just I mean, if if do you really want, for example, the city of Milwaukee to be Portland, Oregon, I mean, seriously, do you really want the city of Milwaukee to become Chicago? Look, they, I, I sent out a tweet. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Sent out a tweet yesterday. Okay, Chicago is on its way to becoming the homicide capital of the world. I mean, crime. Violence in Chicago is absolutely out of control, and and what you have is you have organized rioters who are now targeting police officers. Um, last Friday, there was a demonstration at Grant Park down in Chicago, and so you had the police that showed up. Apparently, the, these rioters showed up with the idea of trying to ambush and attack the police. They showed up with frozen water bottles, and they showed up with sharpened objects and things like that, and, and they moved in and they attacked the police. 49 police officers injured. 49 police officers injured 18 were sent to the hospital a- and this this was a mob that decided that they were going to go after after the cops. And yet you have the mayor in the city of Chicago who's still, well, you know, we, we don't want any federal help on this. We don't want a dictatorship. Meanwhile, you know, the men and women that work for her and are supposed to enforce and keep, again, some sense of law and order, they're being attacked. And this is playing out on a regular basis all across the country, bringing back us back to the larger point of, you know, who, Who wants to do this job anymore? Now, I mean, I think there's still people that like law enforcement and things of the like. But, you know, look, if if your choice is, do I do I want to be a police officer in an urban area where I'm not going to have the support of the mayor, I'm not going to have the support of the common council. I'm going to have the political powers that are going to try to get rid of anybody who wants to give the police the authority to try to maintain law and order. Do I want to work in that environment or even if I do want to go into law enforcement, maybe maybe that's where I start looking for I don't know that police department up north where you know in, instead of getting the the multiple calls to to deal with Dead two-year-olds who've been shot on the street. I- I'm dealing with one of the texters. Makes the point: a car deer accident. You know, I mean, it's 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 just the reality of what is going to happen, and you're starting to see it play out. Like I say, in, in Minneapolis, they're already looking at losing maybe 20 percent of the police force, and and they're not going to be able to replace them, or at least they're not going to be able to replace them because who's with, with quality officers because who's going to want to come in and work in that in environment? Um, let's see, uh, Jeff, this is an absolute outrage. What's going on in law enforcement today? Why these politicians won't let police officers do their job is absolutely beyond me. Well, no, the politicians are giving in to the mob. Jeff, police get no backing from the mayor or the alderman. I think in Milwaukee, the chief is doing a great job. Milwaukee will be the next Detroit under the current leadership, and that means the common Council and the mayor and the Fire and Police Commission. Why? Well, I, I don't know about Detroit, but Milwaukee is on a path to be the next Chicago or the next Portland or the next Seattle, unless some people you know, end up waking up. Jeff, absolutely not. I would not want to be a police officer. Officer, You know, and by the way, then it goes on to say, and with all the, the racial tension nowadays, it doesn't matter what race you are, which is going to tie into something we're talking about in a little bit, the, the cop that they're trying to get rid of in Wauwatosa. If you're a police officer, they view you, you are viewed as some sort of evil person. Well, yeah, that's the answer. Jeff, maybe the police should just quit. Um, so they don 't have to be defunded. they can leave on their own terms and then leave the mob to figure out what it 's like without police yeah no kidding that that 's exactly it um, that 's exactly it let's let 's see what happens when you give in and you allow the mob to rule and My guess is it 's not going to be a pretty sight also the the other effect of this, and this is starting to play out in some cities as well. When you treat the police as an occupying force and and if you have police officers who are aggressive in trying to maintain order in the community, what happens is you've got some people in the community that end up just getting upset. Well, that officer was too aggressive. We we didn't like them you know, doing this or that or the other thing. So what ends up happening? Well, What happens is what's happening in New York now has been happening in Baltimore for the last several years. The police scale back. Instead of being aggressive and going out of your way to try to conduct investigations and things alike, you do what's required of you. But you kind of, you know, work to what's required. You you don't say, hey, I'm going to be really aggressive here because chances are if I do this, I might help solve a murder or potentially stop a murder. But you know what? I'm going to get criticized for this. So they're doing the minimum that's required in some areas. And what are you seeing happen? Homicides going through the roof in Baltimore. Homicides going through the roof in New York. You know, it it is almost to a point where you almost want to say, all right, if we're going to turn some of these urban in areas over to the mob, Let, let's Let's give everybody just notice of that. Tom Barrett, let's just send out a notice saying, you know, we're going to allow the mob to operate and rule in Milwaukee. And we're giving a three month notice to everybody. If you are a law abiding citizen or you want protection from the police, don't count on it after the next 90 days. And you can figure out, you know, how to get out of the city of Milwaukee or the city of Chicago or the city of Minneapolis or Portland or Seattle or New York. The list goes on and on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You've sheltered in place, you've quarantined, and now the wait is almost over. Bob Eucher and the Brewers are back on your radio Friday. It's the Brewers and the Cubs from Wrigley Field. Our coverage of Game 1 of 60 starts off at 5.35 Friday evening. Opening day on WTMJ is sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited and Century Foods. Now, look, I'm, I am really, really glad, of course, that we've, we've got baseball back, that we're going to have basketball back, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's just... From my perspective, well, I, I used to, I loved opening day, the home openers, and for the last X number of years, we do our, I mean, ever since I've been here at TMJ, we, we've done, you know, our our big opening day broadcast. In the last goodness knows how many years, I got the special credential and got to be in the dugout interviewing people. Just really love that. I miss it a lot. It's not going to be the same, but you know what? I think it's still going to be pretty good, and hopefully, they're going to be able to make make it work, and the bubble will hold up for the NBA and they'll be able to avoid the widespread spread of coronavirus for Major League Baseball, and hopefully we'll be able to start the pro football season. Would not that be nice? Okay, I I want to revisit something we discussed, and we've talked about one or two times. And, And this is what happens when you let the mob rule. And it is just amazing to me that you have officials that instead of standing up for Law and order instead of standing up for a process, due process that people are entitled to, where you you just give in to the mob. And I'm talking about what is going on in Wawatosa now. Now, the the Wawatosa police chief, Barry Weber, is a good guy. He's been there forever. He's been there forever. He's now in a situation where you have a, a mayor who... Well, the the mayor, newly elected, who's a very liberal guy, he's kind of in trouble with the mob. You have members of the Common Council who have totally sold out to the mob, and you've got a fire and police commission in Wauwatosa that's just namby-pamby and on the fence when it comes to this. And and I'm I'm talking about these... These hearings that they've been having and these public events that they've been having in Wauwatosa designed to fire, or at least the, the mob is demanding the firing of Joseph Mensah. Joseph Mensah is the police officer, who, by the way, is black. So this is there's not a racial component to this. Mensah has been involved in the last 5 years with three separate shootings. Okay, now that that seems I've said this before. That seems like a lot to me, but at the same time, you know, he's been in situations. The first two shootings, in the first shooting, um he and his partner were confronted by a guy who had a had a sword and who was menacing them, refused to drop it and, and they ended up in Mensa was one fired shot killed the man case was thoroughly investigated, was determined that it was a legitimate shooting. Okay, fine. Two years later, Mensa comes upon a guy who's like sleeping in his car in the park. He's got a gun next to him. One thing leads to another, and apparently what happens is the guy reaches for the gun. Mensa shoots the man. Thoroughly investigated by local officials and also, I believe, by the feds, they determined the shooting was justified. Okay, now... I understand that you've got a situation where the officer has to draw his gun twice and that is an unfortunate thing but what's the option to let the guy chop off his head with a sword or to let the man who's in the car reach and grab the gun and shoot him both cases were investigated they were found to be legitimate shootings which brings us to February of this year you have an unruly bunch of young people who are out at Mayfair Mall and that of course happens with alarming frequency it's so bad that mall officials have to call the Wawatosa police. The Wauwatosa police arrive. One thing leads to another. Kids start to flee. One of them, a 17-year-old, according to the police, is in possession of a stolen handgun, which he turns and fires at the officers. Officer Mensa, who is one of the people responding, returns, fire, hits and kills the 17-year-old. All right, so that matter right now is under investigation. The investigation is pending, although the Wawatosa police authorities are very, very clear in their public statements that they believe that this is going to turn out to be a legitimate shooting. All right. Now, I, again, I, I don't know, but the investigation is, in fact, ongoing. The family of the 17-year-old, they maintain that, number one, the kid didn't fire, and number two, the 17-year-old didn't even have the gun. So uh, th- th- there's no common ground here. But the matter is under investigation, and it's going to be determined. You know, we'll... Sooner or later, and and the sooner that right now it's the district attorney in Milwaukee County who's conducting the investigation, the sooner they get this investigation completed, the better it's going to be for everybody. But if it turns out that this shooting is determined to be justified and the investigation concludes, like the police say, that the 17-year-old had the stolen gun and fired it, you know that all that's going to do is just inflame this mob more. So there's a group of people extremely unhappy one of the groups that call themselves the People's Revolution, and and this is kind of a ragtag group of protesters who has has stormed through closed Mayfair Mall and the Cheesecake Factory, which is the restaurant adjacent to Mayfair Mall, closed them a couple times. The People's Revolution, by the way, is one of the same groups that is agitating and demanding that Chief Morales in Milwaukee be fired. So now they're they're out in, in Wauwatosa. I'm looking at the headline in the journal Sentinel. You all need to fire him ASAP. All right. With her late son's photo printed on her shirt, um, the the mother of the young man who was shot came to the microphone Tuesday night and delivered an emotional plea. We want him fired and convicted. I'm not going to rest until it's done. And she's referring to Joseph Mensah. Do the right thing and fire him right away. A majority of speakers during the nearly five-hour listening session at Hart Park Stadium asked city officials to fire Mensa, who has been involved in three fatal shootings. There were about 150 people spread out across the bleachers. Um, So, again, you you have this group that is demanding that this guy be fired. Now, look, I I understand. I mean, it's a mom. I, I get why she's unhappy. I get why she's upset. But at the same time, I mean, at some point in time, don't we need to stand up and say there is this thing in in this country called due process? And you don't you, you don't hang somebody out to dry and say, oh, my gosh, he should be fired. He should be prosecuted if the facts don't bear that up. And I guess it is disappointing to me. That you, you have people in Wauwatosa. He's already been suspended. You've got members of the Common Council, including some people who are just flat out kooks, who are demanding that we don't care what the investigation says. We've got to get rid of this, this guy. Well, if, if all he did was return fire with a 17-year-old who was shooting at him and others, how in the world are you justified in trying to fire him? Our number, 855-616-1620. The, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Look, I don't know if, if, if Officer Mensa is a good cop or a bad cop. I don't know whether the shooting is going to determine to be justified or not. But I, I do know that in situations like this, where a, at least at first blush, it appears that, that everything was done everything was done okay. How you can just give in to the demands of a mob to fire somebody and charge him. And, and, I mean, here's part of the problem that's out there. My guess is the district attorney is going to, at some point in time, and hopefully the near future, going to come out with a position paper that says, we don't think that there's any basis for issuing charges. That's my guess. Don't know it for sure. And all that's going to do is further inflame the mob that is out there. So, I mean, I hope... Authorities in Wawatosa are ready to deal with this, but I guess my question is is it fair? Is what is happening to Officer Mensa now fair and i don 't know him i 've never talked to him. I'm just thinking, all right, you have an officer, if the facts are correct, who gets shot at by a 17-year-old with a stolen gun and returns fire, and now he's gonna be the bad guy in this if that's true. Now, if it's not true, you know, sure, if this turns out to be a bad shooting, yes, fire him. Yes, prosecute him. But until you know that, how can you take this position? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Here's a text. Um, Jeff, it just so happens that all three incidents took place on his shifts. Would this be happening if it was three different officers? I, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, but, but that's true. That, that's, that's the deal. You're a police officer. You get called to, all right, we've got a report that there's somebody who's, you know, passed out in a car in Hart Park or wherever it was. You go up and, you know, you, you start to engage them and it turns out they've got a gun on the seat next to them that they reach for. Okay. Well, that's, that that that's just the circumstance. You get a call that you're supposed to show up because you and I think his partner was with him at the time. You show up that there's a guy who's menacing, who's brandishing the sword. You get there. You engage with the guy. You, you tell the guy to drop the sword. He attacks you with the sword. You, you shoot. All right. You get a call that there is a problem at Mayfair Mall that you've got these out of control kids. You you show up. The kids start to scatter. One of them is running away, turns. And, and again, I, the investigation will determine what happened. And maybe it didn't happen like this, but nobody knows that. But somebody turns and has got a stolen handgun and shoots at you. Well, yes, any police officer is going to return fire. Now, again, if, if the investigation shows it's something other than that, well, then we have a different point of dialogue. But th- this mob that is out there, well, we, we want him gone. I'm looking at some of the things that were said last night, you know, and it's just, it's almost mind boggling. When we talk about a better Wawatosa, to me, that includes a fired and convicted Joseph Mensa," said Sean Lowe, chairperson of whatever Wawatosa's Equity and Inclusion Committee is, commission is. I mean, a uh, fired and convicted Joseph Menza. Okay, there is this thing called due process, you know, and you want him fired, you want him convicted. Well, convicted of of what? Maybe you should wait until the investigation gets finished and, and then decide. But, of course, the mob has already justified this. And like I say, if the investigation comes out and determines that there's no basis for criminal charges, and that's my guess, but I don't know for sure, I, I mean, just fully expect things like the People's Revolution, um, fully expects more trouble at Mayfair and things of the like. But my point is you can't give in to the mob. It's not fair to this particular officer, and it's not fair to all the other police officers who are now put in this position of saying, OK, you know, we're out on the street. Somebody has just pulled a gun on us and fired at us oh, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to let them get away or run away because if if we return fire and we defend ourselves, then what's going to happen is, you know, we're now going to be held out to dry and we're going to have members of the Common Council demanding that we be fired and charged, even if it's a completely legitimate shooting. I mean, give me a break. Tim and Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon,
3: Jeff. Hi, Tim. You know, yourself, you've been in this a long time, Jeff. You know not let them know So do I, Jeff. The, I don't think you and I know one of them that gets up in the morning and the whatever their shift is, and says, boy, I can't wait to draw my weapon today. I can't think nope. of one that says that. No,
1: but nobody yeah. does. No, Nobody does. That's the last thing you want right. to do. You want to go to work. You want to kiss your spouse in the morning. Go to work. Come back and, and just sit down and have a beer and watch the ball game or listen to the ball game at night. You don't want to get involved in one of these situations.
3: And start the grill, Jeff. No, yeah, I got you. The grill, so, yeah. But this is what happens, Jeff. And it was really amplified in 2008. When you give the kooks a seat at the table, okay? This is what happens when you start pandering to people on the fringes. And then all of a sudden, Jeff, they become more centralized. And then people start listening to their opinions. This is what happens when you have soft on crime everything. But as far as doing something else goes, Jeff, if, he, if he's cleared in this, I would send the hell out of the city of Wauwatosa for damages. I, I, I'd give you know, whoever it is, whatever attorney firm it is, and hammer their asses, because this is a total injustice to this guy. You can phone him before he even gets his day in court, everything, and everybody wants him convicted. Everybody's an armchair quarterback, so to speak, Jeff. Yeah, but
1: if I reinstate- well, well, thanks for calling, him I mean, I, again, I, I don't know that everybody wants him convicted. What, what happens is I actually think... It's it's a small, you know, segment of the community that that wants him convicted. But but it's a loud segment of the community. And and my guess is some of these people who are showing up, they're not even members of of the community. They don't live in, in Wawatosa, but, you know, th- this has become this, this movement that, that's out there. And uh, again, in this particular case, like I say, it, it doesn't cross racial lines. This, this isn't that situation because the officer himself is black. And again, I, I'm i going to be the first to admit, I, I think, you know, three officer-involved shootings in five years seems like a lot to me, But but the first two have been cleared. And this one, Again, the investigation will show it, but if the family's position is the 17-year-old didn't have a gun and didn't fire it, that's not consistent with a lot of the information that's out there, but maybe that's going to turn out to be the case. All I'm saying is you've got to wait and see. And for all these different demands, and now it's, well, we've got to fire the police chief. And and Barry Weber's done, he's the police chief out there. He's done a great job over the years. And we haven't always agreed with things, but he's done a great job in a very, very difficult situation. You know, you look at what is going on in in Wauwatosa right now, and, you know, it's another one of these communities that are on, on the brink. You've got the ongoing problems that you've had at Mayfair. And, of course, you don't want Mayfair to become Northridge. So you've got the ongoing problems there. You've also got, you know, the downtown Wauwatosa area. You've got some really nice, you know, suburban kind of areas. You've got the downtown Wauwatosa area. You, you've got – it's it's an ongoing battle. And this isn't about do, you, do we need to figure out a way to make the, the police more responsive to people of color or things like that? That, that. That's not the issue. The The issue is whether it's fair to – Single out this one particular officer and then attempt to crucify him, including, like I say, some of the kook people on the common council, the alder people who are demanding that the guy be fired before there is any investigation. Now, to your point, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what the guy's damages are as far as, you know, the potential for lawsuits and things of the like, but. The, the idea that we we have to get rid of him or else there's going to continue to be all this unrest in Wauwatosa, to, to me, that's just scapegoating, and it's flat out wrong, and we need to have elected officials that start to stand up and say, wait a minute, you know, once we know all the facts, we will make the decision, and if you don't like our decision after we know all the facts, okay, fine, then then we can deal with that, but fire the guy, charge the guy. At, until you have an investigation that's completed, you cannot do that, period. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff
1: Wagner. Stories like the one I'm about to tell you literally make my head want to explode. As a matter of fact, when I saw I'm so I'm early this morning i'm up i'm in my office i'm doing some research i stumble upon this story i i just visibly this was one where the, the dog is at my feet i just I, I have to apologize to sasha because i let out with an audible oh my god as i'm reading this story i woke the dog up you know i, I felt bad about this so i mean I, I i actually i blame the twits on the madison city council in part for this now it If you want to understand how far through the looking glass we have gone, this is the story of that. Now, we remember when these protests started, Madison was one of the cities where the mayor completely and totally lost control. Of of the situation you had you had rioting, you had looting, you had a police department that was essentially ordered to stand down, not engage the rioters. Don't engage the, the looters. Just we're, we're essentially we're going to let people do what they want into in the city. And to an extent, they had the blessing of the governor who you know subsequently allowed people to destroy stuff on Capitol grounds without, you know, without engaging the rioters either but in particular the mayor of madison for night after night just essentially told the police just don't engage if the officers are in a life and death situation well let them defend themselves but otherwise we're just going to let the rioters go all right so what happened is you had multiple nights of rioting looting arson destruction on State Street, oh, you know throughout the area, but but primarily on, on State Street where you had businesses that were vandalized and things of the like. Now keep in mind th- these are businesses downtown Madison that have well they've had a couple strikes against them. First of all, many of these businesses have been closed since the, the, the COVID-19 outbreak. And we're just starting to reopen when you had the riots. You know, on top of that, you know, if running a business in downtown Madison has been problematic for a while because you've had all the homeless people that they've allowed to essentially Hang out in downtown Madison and and take over the city county building and things like that. So to try to run a business on State Street, you, you've really been swimming uphill. You know, you ordered closed by COVID nineteen. You know, dealing with all the you know the out of control. Homeless people and stuff like that that were discouraging other folks from coming and shopping. But you're trying to get back on your feet, and then what happens is you have the riots, and you have the mayor of Madison, who essentially, like I say, directs the police to just uh, let them let them do what they want. Don't don't engage. Don't try to stop this. So you've got these businesses that come in, windows burn, you know, windows broken out, you know, stores vandalized. All right, so. Here's here's a little thing that the Madison City Council was considering doing. What they wanted to do is that the proposal was to take $250,000, which in, in the giant scheme of things really isn't that much money, but $250,000. And what they were going to do is they were going to distribute this to local small businesses and property owners who could apply for reimbursement grants of up to twenty five thousand dollars and the the money would be it, it could use it for window replacement. You could use it for other repairs to damage caused by the, the rioters and the looters or to pay for insurance deductibles. You know, so maybe you've got maybe if it's covered by insurance, maybe you've got a ten thousand dollar deductible in your business policy or whatever you could apply for for these grants. And they were setting aside, like I say, two hundred fifty thousand bucks, which in the way they spend money in the state of Wisconsin in general and Madison in particular, isn't that much money. But that was the idea. Let's let's help out. You know, some of these businesses who, through no fault of their own, have been vandalized. And you can maybe argue that if it weren't for some of the orders and instructions coming from top levels of politicians in Madison, it, maybe it wouldn't have been that bad. Maybe if they would have decided, you know what, we're not going to let people burn buildings and loot businesses, you know, may, maybe the damage wouldn't have been as bad. But anyhow, they 250000 bucks. businesses apply for a grant up to $25,000, so for window replacement, to to fix other damage done by the rioters, or to pay for insurance deductibles. Um, there's a guy, one of the story in the story I'm looking at, owns a, a Mediterranean restaurant and bar on State Street. He says in one week of this rioting, his business sustained thirty nine thousand uh, dollars in damage. And he said, you know, he said, you, you got to help us out. You, you guys are burying us. And in the way I, and he's talking to the Common Council and City Council. And the way I relate to that, it's first of all, you let this happen. And and secondly, now you're not willing to to help us do this. It was shot down that the Madison City Council shot this down. And and here's here's the reason, because at least in the minds of a couple of the the elected officials, the, the business owners were too white Alderman Rebecca Kemble, 18th District, said the equity program was not enough. This was an equity program that they were also talking about taking uh, a much larger amount of money, $500,000, and and using it across the area to support minority-owned businesses. The equity program was not enough to get her on board with putting money towards downtown, which she called the whitest neighborhood in the city. This is quite literally institutional racism. While there are business owners of color on State Street, none of them are black, says the president of downtown Madison, um, Inc. So the, the idea is you, you, you don't have enough black business owners whose places were vandalized by the rioters. So we're not going to allow, you know, other people. Other people to, to, to come in. Um, another alderman says a vote for the recovery program would be valuing property over human lives. I, I don't even know what that means. Valuing property over human lives. No, it's, <laughs> here, here's the deal. You had rioters and looters who destroyed businesses in the down, the heart of the downtown area. You've got businesses that are struggling to hang on. And you've got a a city that was considering small, comparatively, you know, for the city, small loans to help these businesses out. And you have ultimately a majority of the board that says, no, we're, we're not going to do this because Well, this is one of the whitest neighborhoods around, and we, we, you know, so you you close your businesses. That that's, I guess, that's okay with us. So maybe is that what they want? They want burned-out storefronts and things of the like. These are the stories that just drive me absolutely crazy. Out in Madison, they should have never let it get this far. The police, and I'm not faulting the police because these instructions started with the mayor. The the police should not have allowed the rioting to get to this point. People should have been arrested. People should have been stopped. You burn a car, you get arrested. You don't just be let go. But they didn't. Very, very few arrests. Very, very little done to stop the rioting and destruction. And now the Common Council decides, well, we're not going to help the business owners out with small, relatively small allotments to help them pay for window replacements or insurance premiums. I mean, seriously, what? I, I don't know what some of these elected officials think then the urban communities are going to be moving forward. But if you were a business owner deciding, do I want to rebuild? Do I want to, or do I want to invest? And do I want to start, uh, if, if I want to start a phone store, for example, you know, on State Street in Madison, why in the world would you do it? Seriously, because, you know, the next time and, you know, there'll be a next time you have a bunch of anarchists that decide they want to break windows and vandalize and loot your store for whatever reason. You you have a pretty good idea, number one, that the police aren't going to have your back because the elected officials aren't going to have your back. And the city sure as heck isn't going to help you out after you get it damaged. I mean, really, who would start a business out there? This stuff just makes my head want to explode. But it won't. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I had hoped in the wake of all the outrage over what the city of Milwaukee health commissars had done with regard to school openings is that, that maybe they'd that they'd reconsider. And, and there's a big news conference yesterday and the bottom line is they, they really haven't. Um, they, they, they really haven't. For those of you who haven't been following the story, I think we would all agree that virtual learning has been a disaster. Now, it, there, there might be some kids who, for whom it was okay, but in general, for most people, if you've got if you've got school age children, that the virtual learning has not worked out well. It is important to get kids back to school. All right. I think most of us would agree with that. Many of the suburban schools have already outlined plans to try it. Some are going back to five days full instruction with all sorts of different things that they're going to be doing in the classrooms. Others are trying different sort of approaches like two days on and or every other day, etc., to reduce class sizes, things of the like. But I think most schools recognize it is important to get the kids back to school in the city of Milwaukee. In the city of Milwaukee, the rules were pretty much that schools would be allowed to reopen for in-person learning in in the fall, as long as they met certain criteria. Last week, MPS announced that it was not going to reopen. Their reopening plan was not to reopen, at least for the first 30 to 45 days. And, and my guess is probably the entire fall semester. That would be my guess. And, and I, I understand that MPS has different considerations say than, than other schools. The issues that MPS faces, even though you can argue MPS needs more in person class has more uh, more of a need for in-person classroom instruction than maybe any other school district in in the state, I understand MPS has different considerations. maybe you get more crowded classrooms, kids that take public transportation and therefore get exposed to coronavirus potentially all those things. So MPS says, okay we're, we're not going to reopen. Fine. What happens then is you have a lot of other schools, UWM, Marquette, Marquette High School, um, Wisconsin Lutheran High School, and a whole range of of private and or charter or parochial schools who have been making plans all during the summer. They've been using the last few months to figure out what they're going to do to open up. And they're, they're planning, okay, well, we're, we're gonna open up, that's fine. Well, here's where the problem comes in. MPS, which doesn't like the competition it gets from other schools to begin with, MPS, very, very afraid that if, if they're closed, you're gonna have a lot of parents who recognize that virtual learning is a failure, and they're gonna pull their kids out of MPS, and they're gonna find some other place where the kids can go to school. So, suddenly the Milwaukee Health Department, without giving the schools any notice, changes the criteria so it essentially says, oh, all you that had plans to open up this fall, you're not going to be allowed to do it. Now, they've subsequently backed out off that just a tad. They say, well, you know, if you've got a mediation plan, we'll, we'll take a look at it. But let us be honest here. They've taken that same policy with restaurants, and I think they've approved two of a 100 restaurants for full reopening. So the the chances of you getting, you know, Wisconsin Lutheran High School or Marquette University High School or these others open for in-person instruction, I, I think is probably slim to none, and slim is getting ready to ride a bus out of town. They're not backing off on this. You know, they say, well, you know, we, we, we've we got all these different concerns. We're concerned about, you know, vaccinations, n- not COVID-19 vaccinations, you know, vaccinations. We're concerned about what's going to happen, if, if what's going to be the protocol if a teacher gets sick. We want to review all of this stuff. All right, at some point in time, don't they need to just get out of the way and let these schools at least give it a try? And if it doesn't work, it, it doesn't work. But if the parents want to try it, and the school wants to try it. And if MPS doesn't think they can pull it off, go with God. I understand that. But if some of these other schools think they can pull it off, shouldn't they have the right to try? Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Again, I... I mean, I think it's important to get the kids back to school, and I think there's a lot of factors that goes into it, this decision, you know, what's what's the class size going to be? Um, can you keep the kids separated? You know, what's the situation with faculty? How do people get to and from school? Is it a situation where you've got to ride a city bus, or most of the kids, do they walk? Is it a neighborhood situation? Or do do mom and dad drive them off, drive them? All those are, are factors, but We we got to get kids back into school at some point in time, and if we don't do it now, well, I mean, when, when are we going to do it? Are we gonna lose a year? Are we gonna lose two years? And I guess my point would be, if you've got suburban schools that believe that they can pull this off, Why should we say to Wisconsin Lutheran High School, just by virtue of the fact that its parameters happen to be within the city of Milwaukee, that you can't do it? You can't open. Or Marquette University High School. Um, If all sorts of other high schools feel that they can open up, why do we say to Milwaukee Marquette that you can't open up? To to me, let them try it. And, And by the way, if parents don't want to send, don't feel comfortable sending their kids there, I fully respect it. I fully respect it, but it's this idea that Tom Barrett's health department, they're going to be the ones that decide whether or not Wisconsin Lutheran High School can open up or whether, again, the the small parochial school can open up. Let them let them try. And if the purpose for doing, from doing this, for doing this is you're, you don't want MPS to have the competition, that's not a very good justification. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Will you send your kid back to school this fall for in-person instruction? Would you send your grandkids back to school for in-person instruction? And my answer is we've got to try this sometime because what we have been doing over the last couple months, it didn't work well. And it's nobody's fault. It just didn't work well. We are not set up at this point in time in this country for virtual learning. And I think a lot of kids are falling behind. And it's important if the school thinks that they can do it, it's important to give the school an opportunity and maybe it's not going to work out okay maybe major league baseball is not going to be able to play maybe the nba is not going to play maybe they're not going to be able to allow restaurants to continue to stay open all right maybe that's going to be the case but but you don't know it until you try it do you 855-616-1620 we discuss back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner Drama runs deep in the audience today. Here's the second text. We need to try. Then, after 50 kids are infected, two are dead, three staff members are on ventilators, four of them are dead, and six of the kids' grandparents are dead, then we know we have to try something else. Don't you realize if we open up the schools anytime in the next four years, people are going to die? Don't you realize that? How callous can you be? Well, okay, I, newsflash, you know, all over the suburbs. know they're they're reopening schools for in-person instruction with different requirements that have been put into into place i understand the city of milwaukee is just a, a covid nightmare i mean it's a hot spot i get it and that's why i'm not criticizing mps for deciding that they can't do it safely but if marquette university thinks they can or uwm thinks they can or wisconsin lutheran high school thinks they can i don't know yeah i'd say give them Give them the opportunity to try. Let's talk to Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, you're in WTMJ.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call again. Um, I am a former elementary school teacher uh, in in a private parochial school. I usually had 25 to 30 kids in my room, and if I were dealing with that now, I couldn't accept any more. We we couldn't take any more kids in if if Milwaukee public school parents are saying, I'm just going to go to some other school. Right. We couldn't fit them in. We'd have enough fun, and all these other private schools um, are are dealing with how they can keep their current numbers safe. Right. So you're, you're saying that they're that not looking—they're not
1: looking to poach kids from MPS, is what you're saying?
4: Right, right. Right. And they're probably having to deal with this group comes in on this day, and this next group comes in on the next day because if you've got 25 filled desks in a room, your room is full. Right and you can't do the social distancing on them. So, yeah, let them try. They have been planning. They've been working um, to see what they can do based on the numbers they expect. And if they don't think they can do it, then they won't.
1: Well, well, I- exactly. And, and, if, and again, I, I think this is one where the parents get the, the choice. Now, I understand that we've got some people in the nanny state that they, that they think that they know better. But if the parents who have been watching what's going on with their kids' education and recognizing that this isn't a – it's not a workable sort of situation. And if they get the information from the school, and this is what the school is going to do, and this is how they're going to deal with this type of stuff, and if the parents are okay with giving it a try and the school officials are okay with giving it a try, yeah, I I say let's – Let us give it a try and then end up seeing. And it's I mean, again, the kids are out and about. Anyhow, they're interacting with people. You know, I I think you can make an argument that it's a lot safer. Some of the interactions they're going to have in schools where there will be mask requirements. that will be enforced and there will be the social distancing and they'll probably be taking their temperatures on a daily basis. You can make the argument. I think they'll be safer in schools than they might be, uh, again, not in schools.
4: Yep, and then count in the economics of parents who now all of a sudden their kids are home, well, that, and they have, are expected to have to go
1: to work. Well, also, and, and and expected to try to teach. I mean, that's the the thing that I mean. Look, some <laughs> parents, yeah, yeah, you lay out, but I mean, some parents embrace that and they're good at it. Others don't. But at some point in time, you're, you're going. If we accept the premise that that coronavirus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. It, okay, maybe you try it, maybe it doesn't work, but th- what's going to be different now than in January or, or next spring? I mean, are we really going to say no, no public schools are, are open or no schools are allowed to be open until we get a vaccine and then you get 70% of the people who agree to take the vaccine? Thanks for your me. That just doesn't strike me as being workable. And again, if, if, if you as the parent don't feel comfortable with what the school has come up with, I, I understand I'm not going to criticize that, but this idea that you've got this nanny state out there, and some of these people who I I don't know probably are very, very far removed from this issue in age are sitting there saying, well, this is going to be terrible if we let the parents choose to send the kids back to school. It's going to be awful. People are going to die. Well, okay, well, it's you know, it's not your kids. They're making the decision and they think that they can end up doing it safely. And again, I appreciate that different schools have different considerations. And what's going on at Wisconsin Lutheran is different than what might be going on at Pius, which is different than what might be going on at Riverside, which is different than what might be going on in a small parochial school. So, I. Trust the school officials and the parents. Matt in Milwaukee. Hi, Matt. You're on WTMJ.
5: Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today?
1: Good. What do you think?
5: Um, I'm in a unique situation, kind of unique. I teach fourth grade here in Milwaukee at a uh, choice school. My sister teaches second grade in Mequon. Um, They're ready to go back. Um, We are obviously kind of in limbo still up in the air waiting to see what happens. Um, I agree with you 100%, but we need to get back. Um, in the classroom, um, my sister's—I guess—is kind of like the guinea pig. To see what's yeah. going to happen.
1: Yeah, I guess. Do, do you think? Do you think you could teach safely this fall? You think that they could come up with uh, policies and stuff that would not put you or your kids unnecessarily at risk?
5: Um. Really, I don't. I don't know how to answer that. But okay. What's going to happen? This is what I think is going to happen. though it's going to. Some kid is going to get in the classroom and it's just going to spread, and they're, they're going to be shut down.
1: Well, you know, I mean, you you may very well, I mean, you very well may may be right. I mean, one of the the good things about this is particularly like the younger kids haven't been really the like the, the real spreaders, but that but that doesn't mean you know it can't change. So thanks for call. I mean, again, I you, you may be right. You know, and that might be what happens with Major League Baseball. Um, interesting text here, Jeff. What I don't understand is if daycares can be open, what's the difference between that and the schools? Um well there 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 is kind of that factor that's there. I mean if the daycare is going to be open look and I understand you've got to put in different precautions. I I, I get it. But at, at some point in time you've got to try to do these things if we agree that the alternatives aren't working out well. And and why can't we trust the school systems? MPS, like I say, came to the conclusion they don't think they can do it safely. And, and I'm not criticizing that that conclusion. And again, I understand, like I say, City of Milwaukee in in particular certain areas of the City of Milwaukee that that's that's where you get a lot of the COVID cases. Milwaukee what, about a third of all the cases in the state come out of Milwaukee County and an overwhelming percentage of the cases in Milwaukee ca- County come out of the City of Milwaukee. So I understand why the City of Milwaukee has more restrictive requirements because it is a COVID hot spot compared to most other areas of the state, most other areas of the state, but at the same time, again, I, I, I don't know what the makeup is. I, I Wisconsin Lutheran, for example, I, I don't know how many of their students come from the city of Milwaukee versus how many come from Waukesha or, or other areas. You know, where where are the kids coming from? How are they getting there? What are the class sizes? Those are the all the things that that you look at as opposed to just some sort of you know blanket blanket requirement that, no, we're, we're not going to let you do this until some unexplained or unidentified point of time in the future. Um, and again, I for everybody who says, well, you just don't care about kids' li- lives, I, leave it up to the parents. Let them make the let them make the decisions based on all the information that they have and again i understand the suburbs are different than the schools but you got to do everything you can to get the schools the kids back in school and i think again it's not this binary choice well we either open everything up and everybody goes back or everybody dies you have to have a balancing of that. And I understand that it's a concern that if you send your, you know, like a ten year old kid to school, um, maybe maybe you gotta make extra sure that the ten year old kid isn't gonna interact with the eighty five year old great grandmother who's got respiratory problems. But you know what? My my guess is that that parents are already doing that in the first place. Just saying. Um, in any event, uh, later on, John McCure is going to have the Milwaukee Health uh, Commissioner on, and um, she will explain why she's not backing off essentially her position to not allow schools to open up like they thought they were going to be able. Um, she's on this afternoon show. In addition, McCure has got Chief Al Morales and his attorney, Frank Gimble, and uh, I, I suspect it's going to be a pull-no-punches interview. They're going to be talking about um, what the Fire and Police Commission is trying to do to the chief, which is uh, essentially create an untenable situation where they can fire him with three-plus years remaining on his contract. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner
1: on WTMJ. <laughs> now, having said... That I I would support school districts who think they can do it from opening for in-person instruction. I I fully acknowledge that it's going to be different. It's going to be kids are wearing masks and lots of hand washing and kids separated. And maybe instead of five days of in-person learning, it's three days one week and two days the next mixed with virtual learning. I understand it's going to be different. And it's going to have to be different because, yes, there, there is this coronavirus pandemic we're dealing with, which brings me to what I want to discuss with you next. Tomorrow, the WIAA, the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association is going to be meeting to discuss plans for the fall sports season, high school sports. One of the proposals that is out there is Taking the fall sports, like football, and moving them to spring. And then taking the spring sports and moving them to summer. So in other words, recognizing that at least right now there's there's all these ifs. We don't know if things are going to work. And, and, and even if, if, if the kids are able to go back to in-person learning, What's going to happen is it's going to be different. There, there's not going to be the close contact, et cetera, et cetera. So on the hope, and it is a hope, that things are going to be better six months from now than they are now, and there's not going to be as much uncertainty, the idea is let, let's take the fall sports, like let's have football. We're not going to give up on the football season, but we're going to play it in the spring, and we'll take the spring sports and we'll kick them back to the summer in an exercise of caution and to make sure we don't get into a situation where we, we might end up having to cancel like an entire season of sports. For example, you, you try to bring the, the kids back to play football, and what happens is you, you have a handful of the players that end up getting sick. You gotta you end up having to then, then cancel a number of the games. What they're trying to do with this idea is to buy time. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text line. I am prepared to be talked out of this, but I don't think that that's a bad idea. Uh, you know, a, a lot of, or at least you know, several, you know, major, major colleges. That that's what they're doing. Like the Big Ten and the Pac twelve, they canceled all of their, um, they canceled all of the non conference games. They're trying to buy time, so they're they're pushing them back. Now, a couple other um, university, a couple other of the, the big college sports, they, they've, they've gone ahead and these conferences have gone ahead and they've said, we're going to play this in the spring. A number of other states, a uh, Washington state in particular, they, they did what I was just talking about. They just said, okay, we're going to move the fall sports, we're going to move them to the spring. Yes, we're going to have a football season, but it, it's, we're going to buy time. And again, I, I mean, I, I don't know what things are going to look like nine months from now. And maybe they'll be the same. Maybe they'll be worse. But but they may be better. And I guess I I just think about this idea. And I think, you know, maybe maybe this is an opportunity to, again, sort of hedge your bets and buy a little bit of time. I think it's a pretty good idea. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. 616 1620 Now, as, me, as soon as this idea was floated, apparently uh, a change.org petition was launched, and 3,000 people had signed a petition saying fall sports should not move to the spring. Well, I I don't know. I, I think in some respects this is the kind of decision that sort of makes, makes sense. It's not unlike... What Summerfest did when Summerfest, you know, said, "Okay, normally Summerfest is supposed to be June and July. We're, we're not able to pull that off. We don't think we can do that with the way things look now. We're going to move it to September." Now, subsequently, you know, Summerfest came in and said, "Okay, no, we, we don't think we can pull this off. You know, the acts have canceled. We can't do it." But they bought themselves some time to see if things would would potentially work. That's what this looks like to me buying time to see if it might work. And, and candidly, I think that's a superior alternative than trying to get started I mean, I I want to get the kids back into school. That's got to be the priority. And with all due respect to people who, you know, value athletics, and I do as well, get them back into school. Let's see how the classroom stuff goes. And then let's worry about what's going to happen if you've got like 50 or 60 high school football players that are going to be banging into each other. I think this makes sense. Let's talk to Dave. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about this idea?
5: So I guess I would agree with it. I think it's probably the only realistic option. When you think of um, Marquette, when you think of um, all the schools that are in Milwaukee that would, um, for example, be in the Greater Metro Conference, they are doing all virtual learning. And if they are doing virtual learning, they are basically saying it is um, unsafe to do Anything. Right. So well, how can they have? Extra oh yeah. sport.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, if 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 the schools aren't, I mean, right for for all those schools in Milwaukee, it's a non-starter because if the schools aren't allowed to be open, there's no way in the world that you can have a- athletics. <laughs> I agree with you completely. Right. Yeah.
5: And so and so that would um, be the same thing with Madison. Madison is saying, um, right, we can't have that. So that screws up all the conferences. Right. Um, and then if you would go into playoffs, how would you even get? a state champion or anything like that it just there there is um it's a mess
1: yeah it is it is and i I think so and that's why i mean i i look at this as buying time now here i I have a text that jeff colleges can do that because the athletes only play one sport in high school there are many multi-sport athletes well but but at the same time you're, you're not canceling and uh, you, first of all, th- that might mean that some of the athletes have to make a choice. But on, under the plan, you're not canceling seasons. Now, I guess there's going to be some overlap between the winter, but you're taking the fall, okay, and so now you're going to move the fall into the spring. You're going to move the spring events into the summer. Now, I guess maybe there is some overlap. I don't know when the the winter seasons an- would end and, and when, like, the football practice would start if you've got somebody that's playing basketball, if they're able to do it, A- and I can see that there might be some choices that have to be made, A- and maybe... You know, not all the kids who are multi-sport athletes will be able to participate in all the different sports. I I understand that. But it seems to me that that's better than than just saying, okay, well, we're going to just try to blast ahead, and then we'll recognize that we might have to to cancel this or that or, or the other thing. At least this buys time. And that's that's what we're doing right now. And and yes, I mean, I I understand I I was making the argument a while ago that you have to try to to do stuff. But in the case of, again, interscholastic athletics, to me, it's the learning, it's the getting the schools open first and, and then moving to all the other stuff. And, you know, hopefully, again, hopefully by the end of this year, there'll be a vaccine. Hopefully, you know, next year. That this All this stuff with coronavirus is just going to be a bad memory. That's, that's my hope. But I guess I'm looking at a story right here. Um, possible coronavirus cases among student athletes forces the Menominee Falls School District to postpone summer sports. Okay, well... That You know that headline's going to come out. If you tried to have football practice, what football practice normally starts, what, in a week or two, early August? I mean, you you know you're going to see those headlines for all sorts of other schools, even including, like, suburban schools that are planning to be open. Why not give them a chance to buy a little bit of time? Might not be the perfect solution, but to me, it's the best of what are a lot of bad alternatives. Okay, when we come back, I want to revisit something we talked about yesterday. And, well, I I was going to describe it as a a more fun, lighter topic. I'm not sure it really is, but we're going to do it regardless. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth
0: Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: You know, Melissa, what you just did has been tripping me up lately. They, they, I, I, for years and years, I've been saying News Radio six twenty WTMJ, and mm-hmm. now we're just News Radio WTMJ. T-M-J, yeah, yeah. Which I, <laughs> I, 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 I actually. Do you
0: go I, flip back every
1: once in a while? Well, I guess I hadn't been aware that it changed, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I, I was, I was, I was cutting these different recordings for things yesterday and I'm looking at the script and it all, it's, it's, I was kind of like blasting ahead and then I was told, no, it's, it's news radio, WTMJ.
0: Yeah, but that's been a, for a while. But, okay. you, but if you don't say it, then I guess you don't really. Well, well right,
1: you know, when, when I say you're on WTMJ or, or whatever, yeah. But But it's just so no, but I, but you you got it, you nailed it. I, I did, was, yeah, yeah. Yesterday I was like, oh, I, the, it's we, also written in that. front
0: of me, so that could be it too. Well, there you. <laughs> <laughs> that always helps when it's you know as I'm reading to, it, right?
1: As opposed to those of us who are just kind of like speaking off <laughs> right, the top exactly. of our head. No, it works out. But you you got it. Well, hey, I was listening to Melissa's news, and and she was uh, we we had a clip from the, the head of the Milwaukee Police Association who was saying he doesn't think that there's there's any need for federal authorities here i want to we're not going to open up the phone lines again but i do want to reflect back on a conversation that we had yesterday and a a tweet that i sent out um and and i understand that that you might not agree with me on this we actually had a spirited discussion we talked about yesterday Uh, if i were advising president trump and he were to listen i i would not be sending federal troops to to chicago or to portland or anywhere else that local authorities didn't didn't want them and and there was a really interesting opinion piece in the wall street journal yesterday it's called it 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 was called like the pottery barn rule the the pottery barn rule and of course pottery barn is one of those stores that sell, sell household furnishings and things like that the pottery barn rule is you broke it you own it so if you're in pottery barn and you're looking at that great wall clock and you've got it in your hands and all of a sudden you trip and you fall and you drop it you, you own it. You're, you're expected to buy it. You know, if you break it, you own it. I think I would apply that to some of the unrest that is going on across this country. Portland, Oregon, is an absolute dumpster fire for a ver- both literally and figuratively. 53 days, 53 nights of, of protests Many of which, not all of which, but many of which it's just kind of disintegrated disintegrated into to rioting and the the mayor has completely lost control of that community. You've got businesses who who haven't been open for weeks and weeks, not because of COVID-19, but because, again, it's not safe to do that. So into that. It, President Trump sends out the, the Homeland Security people. I think he has a right to do it. Don't get me wrong. And ostensibly, they're there to like protect the federal building and things like that. But they, they, they. I, you understand how this happens in the context of protecting the federal building? They get drawn into doing enforcement work because what happens is you have people that throw bricks at them, and then they chase them into the crowds, and you're making all these arrests. I, and then what happens is the story becomes. Not that you've got out of control rioters and looters and anarchists who are taking over an American city, but rather it becomes, again, politicized. Well, here is, you know, federal, President Trump and he's, he's acting like a dictator sending authorities in. I, I And again, I, I understand that you might disagree with me, but my approach would be, OK, you, you broke it. You know, you you own it. And I would say to the now, it's one thing if the mayor of Portland or the mayor of Chicago or the mayor of Milwaukee would decide to say, look, things are really out of control here. I, I want you to help and ask Washington to send in authorities. But if they don't want them, I, I would say, let them go. You know, if this is the community you want, if you want to turn it over to the anarchists and the rioters and the looters, if that's what you want, okay, Ms. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, fine, you, you have it, you you own it, and then you explain to your constituents, you explain to the businesses, you explain to everybody why you essentially turned your city over to to the looters, over to the antifa people, over to the people who want to violently overthrow this government if if that 's what you want fine you, you you could you can have it, you broke it, you own it, but what 's going on now, like I say, is that the conversation isn 't Gee, what's going on about, with regard to the out of control rioters? It's, oh, now we've got these federal authorities coming in and this is like, uh, it's like Nazi Germany and those arguments. So, I, I, and look, and I understand what President Trump is doing and I don't necessarily disagree with the intent here. Some people think it's, it's overly political. I would just say, look, if, if, if a mayor of a city wants to stand back and essentially allow his or her city to be destroyed, okay. Fine, just just let them own that decision, and and we'll see how long the majority of people who live in that city really will be willing to put up with it. It's the Pottery Barn Theory. We talked about it on the show yesterday, but I I did send out a tweet. If you follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to the story. Okay, when we come back, all right, gone but not forgotten. I will explain.
4: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on
5: WTMJ.
1: Once we get done with with the coronavirus pandemic, if we get done with the coronavirus pandemic, the world is going to look a a lot different. There's a lot of businesses that were, were mainstays that were kind of like on the edge maybe beforehand, or maybe they even weren't on the edge. Maybe they were successful. But what's happened is, you know, COVID-19 has just absolutely killed them. And there's no industry that's getting touched more than than the restaurant industry. Um, here, here's, I'm looking at a story in the Chicago Tribune from today. They estimate that about 2,400 Chicago-area businesses have have closed that will never reopen about 4400 businesses closed 2400 say they're never going to reopen their estimate is that um 800 restaurants have in Chicago have closed permanently looking at another story uh, in the Wall Street Journal more than 2200 California restaurants have closed permanently since coronavirus hit about one thousand of Michigan's seventeen thousand restaurants have permanently closed as of last month. So you, you get you get the numbers. Now, interestingly, if you look at the percentage of, of of permanent restaurant closings, you know Wisconsin so far hasn't been on on the list. At least it doesn't make the top twenty. Um, California. Percentage-wise, has the greatest percentage of of restaurants that have closed. Texas, New York, Florida, and it goes on and on. But we're we're certainly not immune. And you know, on a daily basis, you'll see a report about this restaurant or that restaurant closing. And my guess is, before this is all over, you're going to see a lot more restaurants that have closed because they haven't been able to the, the, the limited amount of. The limited amount of dining, operating at 25 or 50% capacity just doesn't work out for them. The requirements that they have to put in place Turns off a bunch of people. I was talking about a, a restaurant I go to on a regular basis, where the, the owner was telling me the clientele tends to be a little bit older, and people just aren't comfortable, even with all the all the different things that people do that they do at the restaurant to maintain distancing and taking out tables and all that. You know, a lot of the clientele just isn't comfortable going back to, to restaurants. A- as for me. Um, we eat out a bunch, but we literally eat out. I mean, we we intentionally go to restaurants where they have patio dining. And I understand that, you know, you're taking a little bit of a risk there, but we're willing to take that risk. I I think I've only eaten inside once or, or twice. Now, what's going to happen two months from now, I, I don't know, you know, when the weather starts to turn and you, and you can't get that patio dining. I don't know what's going to happen, but at least, you know, right now, we're depending on the patio dining and we're doing it quite a bit. All right, I thought we'd have just understanding the world we're living in. I understand also dining out is a big deal for a lot of people. It's an enjoyable experience. There's some people that go out maybe once a month as a treat. There's other people that go out multiple times a week because it's just what they like to do. It's just how they they deal with things. And the truth of the matter is, there's going to be a lot of restaurants that we used to go to that we're not going to be able to anymore because they're not going to be able to survive this. So I thought we'd take a walk down memory lane. Here is my question. What is the best restaurant that you'll never eat at again? The best restaurant, and but I'm, that's a clever way, at least I think it's a clever way of kind of asking, you know, a restaurant that you used to love that, that's been closed. The best restaurant you'll never eat at Again, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I guess I do this as kind of a, a tribute to restaurants gone but not necessarily forgotten, and some of those restaurants that, um, unless things change, in the near future, they, they might be gone and not forgotten. 855-616-1620. That's the academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The best restaurant that you'll never have a chance to eat at again. Crew is lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment.
4: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: The restaurant industry has been particularly, has been hit particularly hard by the, the closures necessitated by coronavirus um uh, it 's interesting the uh, they, they talk about like in chicago eight eight hundred restaurants have closed permanently twenty two hundred restaurants in California have closed permanently a thousand of michigan's 1, seventeen thousand restaurants have closed permanently all right we 're going we 've lost some good restaurants recently we 've lost some good restaurants over the years what 's the best restaurant that you 're never going to get a chance to eat at again let 's start with Dennis on the south side Dennis, good afternoon.
5: Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call again. Sure. This, has, this closed quite a while ago. And it was a supper club down on the south side, way down 27th Street, almost where it joins up with the, the freeway again. Um, right. It was called Raid Bustlers.
1: Uh huh. I remember it. Yeah. I'd eaten there, sure.
5: <laughs> you were just wondering. But you got a decent meal at a decent price, and. You got a lot of food. If you left there hungry, then you didn't order. <laughs>
1: you you, know? you, you weren't try- right. I mean, it was it's like one of the kind of like a classic sort of supper club. That's what I kind of oh, remember yeah, it being. Yeah, yeah, it
5: was delightful that way. One other place, real quick, Napoli's over on Leighton, which was a pizza place. It was run by a family. Uh, I have that I think it was a name, of them, and uh, originally from Italy. And, and oh, yeah. their pizza was fantastic. Yeah, it, it was they- about like six.
1: No, instantly. thanks for calling. No, isn't it amazing that sometimes you, you you think about that, you remember, boy, I just, I, I remember the recipe that they had for this dish or that dish or whatever, and it's just it's just not the same. It's gone. Let's talk to Harold in West Allis. Harold, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hi. Uh, Topps Restaurant in Hale's Corners.
1: I'm not sure I ever excellent went there. Excellent fish. Okay.
3: Excellent fish. You could sit down and eat, or you take it out, okay. and it was just excellent.
1: All right. I guess I'm not wasn't familiar with that one. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's see. Uh, lots of text here. Um, la, da, 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 da. Um, let's see. Normie Baker's Pleasant Valley Inn in West Dallas had the best steaks around. Jeff, it has to be the Acapulco Mexican restaurant that used to be on 6th and National. They had the hottest sauce around and the most tasty, authentic Mexican food. Um, also, they were often open way after bar time, which was quite handy back in the day. Jeff, the Friendly Inn on 40th and Good Hope never, ever had a bad meal there. I think they closed in 1994 um okay let's see here a lot of people with different ideas jeff the best restaurant in the midwest was frenchies Boy, you're really going back frenchies was on the east side that um i i think uh my parents used to go there i don't think i ever went there sally's steakhouse downtown yes run by the infamous the notorious sally pepito i remember that uh the rafters on south 27th street yeah that was a That was another, you know, great place that was around. Jeff, uh, Pinocchio's in Racine. They used to have the best burgers ever. Uh, here's one that we can all relate to. Mark's Big Boy. Yeah, I used to love Mark's. Just absolutely loved to, used to love Mark's Big Boy. And I I still, I know that there's places you can go that kind of get, you know, variations of the, uh, variations of the Big Boy hamburger, but nothing's the same. Uh, let's see. Shakey's in Waukesha. I mean, I remember when Shakey's was big. A lot of people voting for Big Boy. Um, recent closure, Mary says Comet Cafe. That's one that just announced that they were closing. Let's um, see. Let's talk to Sandy downtown. Sandy, good afternoon. I'm sorry, sorry Sandy Hi. in walk Hi, Sandy. Yeah.
4: <laughs> That's okay, dear. I mentioned the Boulevard Inn. Yes.
1: Yes, oh. I, I love the Boulevard Inn. Absolutely, on, oh. uh, on the west side. Sure, used to go there all the time.
4: Oh, <laughs> the food was just wonderful. Right. It was relaxing, and it was just... It was rather an elegant place
1: really it, it was but I mean, thanks to call but but also a great supper club originally it was kind of on the west side and then they they moved downtown and then uh it, it kind of ended up disappearing but yeah, I remember the old boulevard inn there's a legendary story in the Wagner family about a, a wedding reception um and i did I, I it was not my wedding reception but a legendary story about that I'll tell it sometime johnny v's classic cafe eighty fourth and Greenfield in West. Alice, um. Let's see, Jeff Big Boy. Always loved the big guy outside with his tray. Well, if you're a regular listener, you know that I just I, I collect Big Boy statues. Um, Albies in Ripon had great crust on the prime rib. I think that's tremendous. Number of people are um, talking about uh, Captain Steak Joint, which was also owned by the same by by Marcus, the same company that owned uh, the Mark's Big Boy. But yeah, they had Captain Steak joints all over, and spent spent many evenings of my misspent youth. You know, sitting there having the the steaks, but also the thing they had is they had this um, they, they had this cheese fondue in the bar that you'd you have these, like these big crackers and you'd eat, and I, I'm sure it was incredibly bad for you. But you know, nevertheless, that's what you'd uh, that's what you have. Let's talk to Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
4: Hello. Good afternoon. Hi. Um A place that I used to love was called um, Big Cedar or. Cedar Lake Inn. It was on Big Cedar Lake. Okay. Um, and they had some really great food. At the um, owners were actually family friends. And, okay. Um, their, their fish fries on Friday were really good because they weren't doused in a ton of breading. They used, like, the real light batter, but they were still the um, beer batter, and they were really, really good.
1: Yeah, that I, I mean- really miss yeah <laughs> <Peter's> what, <cooking. laughs> well it's no, they took a well i mean and that that big cedar lake which is just outside of west bend is just a a wonderful place okay let's see uh then i think they mean nino's steakhouse uh, i mean nino's was was quite a was quite a i mean they had several of them around here that was uh, partially very popular la perla mexican restaurant on national yes i was there on quite a few occasion dutchland dairy yeah, there, but before there was a uh, Culver's and before there was a Cops, there was a Dutchland Dairy. Those were always great places. Um, Ray Bustler's on South 27th Street. At the end of the meal, they put two half-full bottles of schnapps on the table. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God! Uh, wow. Yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's kind of, my, my guess is they kind of worked out. Okay, here's one. The Halfway House on Blue Mound Road. Yeah, see, Melissa, this was a really cool place. Mm-hmm. It was, they called it the Halfway House because it was right, it was Kitty Corner from Brookfield. Square is where it was. It was okay. on like, yeah, like Blue Mound and Moreland mm-hmm. there. And um, it was like halfway between Milwaukee and Waukesha, wh- whatever. But it, they... On Friday nights, they had these two guys who, who played the piano, and the place was just packed for fish fries and stuff. And I can remember going there. This was probably when college, law school, or whatever. But, you know, th- these guys would play the piano, and they play all these old sort of songs and stuff. And now, like so many things in the world, that the halfway house is gone, and it's a Walgreens. Oh, <laughs> you know, no! Just, you know, well, it, it, it's, it's like all, these, all these, yeah. these great restaurants that I, I, I used to go to, Um, there's one, gosh, there's one just south of River Point. I forget what it was called right now, but, but it's, it's a Walgreens too. It's like they tear down all these restaurants and they're either, they're either CVS, right? They're (laughs) CVS, they're CVS, they're Walgreens or they're, um, PNC banks, you know, (laughs) it's, it's it's like they they tear down these restaurants and they don't put anything good to replace it. Well, right. I mean, I don't. I don't mean to diss the PNC oh, banks, yeah, no, but yeah. No, but where's my that. restaurant? Right. <laughs> uh, here's some more text, Jeff. The Friendly Inn on Good Hope, best prime rib anywhere. I remember um, that. Uh, the B- Bouchelles Colonial Inn in Port Washington, excellent food. See, if you lived around here all your life, you remember these places. Carl Rosh's, uh, right? I just, you know, in Melissa in in Milwaukee, there used to be these three big German restaurants, John Ernst Cafe. Carl Rosh's and, and Mater's. But but this was, if people came to Milwaukee, you take them to one of those restaurants and John Ernst closed first, and then Carl Rosh's closed. Have still have Meters, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mater's. Still have Mater's, right? Mater's is the last, it's kind of like, when I was growing up, you had th- three real breweries in Wisconsin. You had Schlitz in Milwaukee. You had Schlitz and Pabst and Miller. And when I was adventurous as a young man, we would tour all three of them in one given day. Oh, nice. You know, well, it was just kind of like, the, <laughs> you'd make the rounds. You'd start mm-hmm. at Schlitz, and then we'd go over to Pabst, and then you'd end that up at Miller, fun. that was how I did it. But it was kind of like with the German restaurants. You'd, you know, you, you could go to one of the three, and now now there's Miller's the only right. brewery left, at least the big brewery that I'm talking about. Um, so again, it's it's one of those things that's the best restaurant you'll never eat at. Again, Gritz's Pizzazz on Good Hope Road, yeah, that's, uh, Matter of fact, that's featured, they've got films, they they film part of Major League in Dritz's oh, cool. Pizzazz, mm-hmm. like some of the, where, where the, the, some of the, like the love scenes and well, stuff Well, you know, when you think about
0: all these places, but then you think about the crowds that were in them and how we're not even able to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: No, it's a completely mm-hmm. different uh, dynamic. Um, let's see, here's somebody, my 27th Street list, Burger Chef, Red Barn, Barnaby's, oh, got a Barnaby story too um roy rogers but the, my Barnaby story barnaby's was a pizza place mm-hmm. and it kind of a but but you'd go in and you get pictures of soda and stuff and you get the pizzas and and we used to hang out there in high school okay i'll tell this quickly there's one barnaby's left in the country oh, and only one. it's it, there's only one barnaby's left in the country and it's right outside the arlington horse race track okay so a few years ago My my brother and I we take his kids and we go we we took them to the track you know for like Father's Day or something and we were going to go to Barnabys we're going to go to this Barnabys now I hadn't been there in twenty five or thirty years now right so we decided to go to the Barnabys and you walk in and I swear this Barnabys was the same as the Barnabys on Port Washington Road was in nineteen seventy three I mean it's 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 like right out of the nineteen seventies and. We, we we sit down and and the boots were kind of the same, but they're they're these I guess the, at the time it did, I didn't notice it, but they're really narrow and uncomfortable. <laughs> the the pizza, I guess. Let not me put it like not the same as you remember. Not the same as I. Well, it was the same as I remember, but maybe my my taste changed. And I know the kids are like, you guys have been talking about this. <laughs> I mean, this, this <laughs> it was and you know, it was kind of like I <laughs> oh. you know it's just it, it's one of those things that. Forty five years right, ago it right. seemed different. All right, this was fun. Um I look and I, I hope whatever whatever your favorite restaurant is, I hope it is able to survive what we've been going through in the last uh several months. It is a tough time. And to the extent that you get a chance to go out and support one of your restaurants, I encourage you to do that, whether it's dine in or dine outside on the patio or take out or whatever, because it's it's a tough time for the hospitality industry all across the board right now. Tough time for a lot of industries.